Hi, it's Orit here. Can you believe it's almost 2019? I am shocked by how quickly this year has gone. And the closer I get to the end of the year, the more obvious it is to me that I need to seriously rest and rejuvenate, repair, and just take some space. So I guess I just wanted to inspire you to do the same if it's possible Take some space away from whatever you're working on because the more space we have, the more we can get back into our creativity and get back into that flow and um, just be refreshed for the things that we want to complete in 2019. And my word of 2019 is ease. And I am going to strive to feel easier and make things easier even when they're hard. Um, And just, you know, that has to do with acceptance and self-love and all that good stuff. And I'm really tired of, like, feeling that things are hard or that they have to be hard. So I also want to inspire you to choose a word for 2019. This has nothing to do with today's podcast. But um, this actually today's podcast is pretty inspiring because we talk about end of life care. And one of the things that Molly Arney says is just how much this work helps her appreciate the life uh, that she lives today. And, you know, when you work with people who are dying all the time, you know, it definitely puts a different perspective on the life that you're living. So maybe in some way it is related to today's episode. Um, and, and just assessing, you know, how we can really nurture ourselves and put some intention into 2019. So, um, I wish you a very relaxed, joyful, um, and if not joyful, just a end of 2019 where you take care of yourself and, um, just get, just get in what you need. So here's the last episode of 2018. I hope you enjoy. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. Welcome to Molly Arnie for coming on to the podcast. It's great to have you here. And I would love it if you could introduce yourself, um, a little bit about you and what it is that you do and what you'll be talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited to, to be you and being here tonight. Um, I work as a dance movement therapist in end of life care and grief and loss. Um, and we're going to kind of be talking about the use of movement, nonverbal expression and breath in end-of-life care and grief and loss. Um, I think that's it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll get into it more. Um, so who is your population? Like, so I work, um, I work in hospice um, full-time, and I also have my own private practice, um, energy, dance, healing, and wellness. And I go into assisted livings, um, and nursing homes and work with the end of life care and memory care population. So I do both specific dance movement therapy groups, um, on one lens, and then I do more individualized and small groups with families and the patient. Uh, so you're working directly with the patient and their families to assist with end of life care. Gotcha. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Great. Um, so can you tell us like, what is it like to work with both sides? You know, like what are the main emotions and struggles that come up that you're helping them through? Yeah. You know, people always say, I can't believe you work in hospice. It must must be so hard. And and it is. And there are a lot of days that it's very hard. And I have to kind of come home and self-care the best I can. Um, But when you flip kind of the lens of it's so sad to it's so, I feel so honored to be part of these individuals' lives. Um, you know, when we hear their stories, we can do life review um, and legacy and see where they've come from, you know, what their lives look like and and being able to help them through through their life into the end of life and supporting the family at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a totally different way of looking at the work that you're doing and it does, like, feel mm-hmm. very lucky, you know, that they can have that in your support. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, even even sometimes the, it's harder to be with families um, because they're you're watching them grieve and you're, you're watching them process what's happening to a loved one. Um, but, but really, you know, the beauty of utilizing dance therapy or just nonverbal expression is being able to, to really visually see what they're going through um, and looking at their body and their breath and their tension and, you know, and being able to work with them on a different level than let's just sit and, and talk about it, you know, and, and a lot of families like, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I, I can't talk to another person. And it's, it's great to say, okay, let's not, you know, mm-hmm. um, and let's, let's come at it a different way. Yeah, that is so great because it's like, what's, I don't know, it just feels like what is there left to talk about? <laughs> so um, can you tell us more about this, the expression that you're facilitating through movement and breath? Yeah, so specifically with the patient, um, you know, it's it sometimes people might say, oh, it's easier when they're more alert and oriented. Um, you know, the, their illness progression hasn't come to a, a point in which they're nonverbal or non-responsive. Um, but I actually think it's it's more interesting to to witness a patient and their family when we're working through nonverbal expression when they're non-responsive, when we're, you know, doing breath work or we're watching their eye movements or their slight touches. Um, you know, I had a family that I, I was present for and I brought my guitar too so we could do, you know, live music and movement. And and I just watched the Jen's spouse just touch every part of her body when she moved. And he would touch that that part and she would breathe into it and then move another part of her body and he would touch that part. And we just kind of created this this great space without any words <laughs> and and everyone in the room just started crying because it was so beautiful to share that space um and and it was almost like we didn't have to explain it or or prep what you know this is what we're gonna do today you know it was just this nonverbal organic expression for for the spouse and and their you know loved one of 50 years where he just knew how to be present without having to say anything hmm Wait, so can you say that again? I might have missed that. Who was touching what and 
How did that happen? <laughs> so, like, um, we had uh, one of our patients um, in the in the hospice was in bed, and she was um, nonverbal and minimally responsive, and she would move. Um, you know, it, it would come off as agitated, like a slight grimace or a move of her arm, or she would move her knee or her foot. And her husband was sitting next to her, and every time she moved a specific body part, he would just gently place his hand on her. And you could watch her breathe into his touch, and that just continued for about 20 minutes. Um, and everyone just watched this beautiful relationship of them just being able to feel and heal through energy and, and space. And it was just, for me, you know, this wonderful thing to witness. And I'm sitting on the other side of the bed with my guitar trying not to cry. <laughs> it's like just so beautiful to, to watch it and to be there and share that space with them. Yeah. So um, this is part of the nonverbal expression that you even see happening between your patients and their families. Yeah. Exactly. And, and for some, some reason, um, you know, in my experience and just, you know, in, in different literature and, and such that people, families in specific are nervous or they tend to not want to touch someone when they're dying. Um, and that could be dying in the retrospect or they just came on the hospice and they have six months or more or active or imminent death where, it, you know, they're declining. It could be days or several hours left of their life. And they're so scared to touch their loved one. Um, and I've, I've asked, I said, you know, what? why are you so nervous to, to touch mom? And it's like, I, I don't want to cause her pain or I don't I don't know if she would want that or I don't. And and it's really being able to guide the family member, that friend and saying, you know, it's okay. Maybe we can touch gently or, you know, I have, um, I always guide a family member to put their hand under their loved one's hand. So they're kind of lifting them, um, in a support. And it's just, you can watch the, the family and the patient just drop into that, that touch. And, and it's so interesting because we have this norm of like, they're sick and dying. Don't touch them. Uh, Right. And and when we can almost get over that hump, it, it's really beautiful to witness. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And like, what a difference in perspective again, you know, like it, it feels like just kind of shifting the paradigm or the belief system with, with the work that you do. Um, the question that came to me was, how do you know how to facilitate that? Like, how do you know if the your patient isn't going to get agitated or if it's the right time or the right place to have that um, expression or that exchange? Right, right. And, and I think it, it's like any um, clinician, dance therapist, um, psychotherapist, you kind of, you go in with a little bit of history and you kind of slowly build that rapport um, where I wouldn't meet a patient, their family on day one and say, okay, let's, you know, jump in and, and it's okay to touch and let's create a space. And I, you know, everyone would say, oh my God, dance, go away, you know? <laughs> so yeah. I would definitely um, meet the family, talk to them about the patient's life and history, see what they're comfortable with. You know, if I find out that mom was never sure, she never liked to be touched or hugged or she always, you know, then I might do something where we just sit in that calm presence or maybe we create a circle around mom and the bed and, and the family and I would hold hands, you know, and or whatnot. Um, 
because I know going in that she was never a toucher and that would be something that would probably agitate her. Um, so really getting that kind of family and patient re learning about them, knowing their favorite kind of music or sense and aromatherapy and kind of creating this space that's already comfortable and, and inviting. So if I, if I push and say, let's try something new, um, then it, you know, it, it's not going to be this kind of big, um, shift. Uh, of course, I think we can never know if some, you know, if someone's nonverbal and non-responsive. If I try something and they're agitated, okay, we won't do it again, you know, and, and we'll try something different. Um, but I always, I always kind of go into a session planned, um, you know, planned emptiness as much as we can to, to go in with a, a structure and some knowledge and then just let, you know, things happen organically. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are some of the other interventions that you use? Like, uh, like you were talking before about the ther therapeutic touch and the effects of calm presence. Can you talk more about mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I work with a lot of our, our volunteers and, and that the feedback I always get, you know, I look and see who they're sitting with and what's going on and how, you know, how did their day go? And, and it tends to see all the people go to the verbal alert oriented, adorable 96 year old grandmother <laughs> who wants to tell you about her life, which is, you know, it's, it's easier to go into the adorable 96 year old grandmother's room who wants to tell you about her life and all the wonderful things, which is great. And part of legacy work and, and doula work, but going into those rooms with a patient who's nonverbal, non-responsive, um, maybe they don't have any family left or they don't live locally. Um, and being able to, to, provide this calm presence, this quiet, energetic essence, if you will, you know, you, you go into this room and this, you're just bearing witness. And, you know, we talk about a lot of that dance therapist and authentic movement and, and just being a witness to someone else. And, and they don't have to be telling you their life story and, and the 96 years of, of this and that, and for you to, to bear witness and to just be this calm presence next to someone who who is lying there and going through their end of life journey um you know really is just as important and and being being in that space and giving them that space and that energy you know being able to like i said putting you know light touch or putting their your hand or their hand hand as a support um you know breathing with them mirroring their breath so if their breath is very deep you know trying to breathe with them and having that in trained breath, um, you, you watch this, this individual calm down if they're agitated or I've seen, you know, patients almost like drop their shoulders. Like if we were doing a deep breath, you know, and, and they could say, Oh, they're nonverbal, they're non-responsive, you know, da, da, da. but you go in and you, you sit calm presence and you give light touch and, and maybe just a gentle massage in their fingers and, and you can really see the body just drop and just relax. And it's, it's just as important as, you know, going in and, and chatting with a 96 year old woman as it is to just be, be and be present. Mm. Yeah. That's so powerful. Like just to be the witness there and, and to see them at this time of their life and be with them instead of, you know, kind of like you were saying before, Maybe there's more fear and avoidance around that, but for you to go in and just be with, that's powerful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what about some of the stuff that you do around um, vibration and sound? Right. So um, my my undergrad is in music therapy, so I, I do a lot of, of live music with my movement sessions. Um, and so I use, you know, a singing bowl and I use my shruti box where it's just um, tones and just vibrational sound. And a lot of times when you have a hold the instrument over a patient's body, um, if they're alert and oriented and willing, I'll ask if they want me to place it on their body. Um, some people do, some people don't. Um, but you can feel the vibration of the sound internally. And when you feel the vibration, it resonates different parts of your body. Um, and we can go into Reiki and chakras and all that jazz. Um, but you, just a, a general drone sound gives this kind of calming, grounding feeling. And so you go in and the first time, the first time I do it with the family, it's like, Oh goodness, you know, cause it can be loud um, and a little jarring. Mm-hmm. And, and even watching the families, once you kind of listen to it for a bit and you feel the resonation, I've seen families close their eyes. I watch patients, you know, really relax their shoulders and their breath. Um, you know, sometimes if it's very quick or they seem agitated, I can watch that reduce. Um, and you can, you're just using this tool of, of sound. It's not music. We're not reminiscing. We're not singing. It's just vibrational sound. Um, and it's so powerful. And I always would think, Oh, you know, what is, what's that really going to do? <laughs> like, I'm just going to make this one sound. No one's going to want to hear that, but it just gives this, this grounding feeling. And, and sometimes if I, if we do have family in the room, I might lead a guided meditation and really have them, you know, put their feet on the ground, sit down. A lot of times families are so nervous, they're pacing and they're standing and they're walking and, and just saying, okay, let's, let's drop in, let's sit, you know, let's reground and I'll bring in that vibrational tone. Um, and you can just, you can just see the families and the caregivers just really drop into that. And then it, that helps them be more present for their loved one too. Yeah. It sounds like you're facilitating this calm presence for the patient from the family too, instead of like, I can just picture it like the pacing and the standing and the huffing and puffing and like, you know, that's so stressful, but like to create that environment, that sounds so important too for their family member to experience like, you know, their family being there for them in this grounded, centered, present way. That's awesome. Um, so you were talking about life review and can you explain, you know, what legacy and life review is and how you, you use dance and movement through that? Yeah. So, um, you know, life review can, can just be as basic as, as really sitting with a patient and saying, okay, like, you know, tell me about yourself. And you kind of start there and you reminisce through the years and they can have that, that space and that opportunity to really go through their life, um, which not everyone gets, you know, especially at the end of life, if it's a traumatic loss or if it's sudden death or um, what have you, you know, not everybody gets that ability to really say, let me look at my life. Um, so, you know, kind of starting with that verbally or, or journaling, um, you know, I love utilizing storytelling and then putting it into movement. So can we almost 
choreograph your life? You know, like what would your, what would that look like in your body or what would that look like in movement? Um, and we always joke, you know, I'm, I'm from Jersey. And so everyone's always using their hands. And so it's always like people try to explain things and all they do is keep use their hands. So it's, that always kind of ends up being part of, part of the movement, um, in their life review. And so with legacy work, um, it's a little deeper. And I remember, you know, I completed my thanatology certification from the open center in New York and we did our, our first, you know, training on legacy work. And I said, Oh my God, you know, how, heavy like what's your legacy like what are you leaving behind and so that's such a heavy topic you know everyone's supposed to leave this amazing legacy and, and what do I do with that I, you know I've, I have nothing I'm x age I've done what you know and, and it almost gives gives this opposite reflection of well what did I do and and again you know you kind of go back to that change in perspective and it's not like oh I've left this life legacy it's you know what do I want to be remembered? Like, what did I do in my life? Was I a good person? Um, do I have children? Did I do X, Y, and Z that made other people happier, that made me happier? You know, what are, what do you want to be remembered for? And, and when you shift it that way, again, people say, Oh, well, no, I, I guess, you know, I want to be remembered for always being kind or, Oh, you know, it, we have a lot of families that, um, love, especially the older generation, you know, they always did Christmas at their house or they always had Hanukkah at their house, you know? And so that was, I just always want everyone to remember how wonderful Christmas day was at my house and that's their life legacy. And it can be so simple. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter how big or small it is because it's your life legacy, you know? Um, and, and kind of taking that and then saying, okay, the same thing, how can we, put it into our bodies or how can we move through this in space? Um, and, and sometimes people are like, well, ah, you know, there she goes again with that dance business. You know? <laughs> like, if I say, well, you know, let's breathe through it or let's move through it. Sometimes it can be again, a, a real journey through movement or we can just breathe through difficult times and we can smile and um, remember all the little movements, you know, smiling and, and having bright eyes and relaxed shoulders and, and kind of going back into our bodies and presenting who they are and who they were um, and how they want to be remembered. And sometimes when you can help someone feel that in their body, then their family sees it you know, and, and there it is, like, there's, there's their legacy, and, you know, it's, it's not wildly simple, but it's not, like, wildly over where we can't think of it or, or get, get it ingrained into our bodies, but it's, it's just taking that step by step and having someone being willing to move through their journey with you. Yeah, so does it, that usually look like, a choreographed dance or like that they revisit or is it just more spontaneous in the moment? In my experience, um, I, it, it tends to be more spontaneous when I do um, my groups, it ends up being a little more choreographed because they might be more alert oriented and, and we'll have the ability to give direction or say, this is what I want. Um, but with the, with end of life and a especially, you know, active and, and the patient and the families, um, you know, it's more spontaneous. And, and a lot of times I'll come in 
with a little humor. And we always say you have to have humor in hospice because you're not going to make it, you know, mm-hmm. as a professional. Because um, you have to see the life and you see the journey and the happiness or it just becomes too sad. And so when we do it spontaneously, I'll kind of go in and be like, all right, let's dance, you know, and do something silly or I'm known for my, I always shoulder shimmy. It's kind of like my go-to move. Um, and, and without fail, I always get a laugh. And so I, you know, must look ridiculous because always gets a laugh and I'll be like, Oh Molly. And you know, that'll, that'll break barrier of like, Oh, I don't want to get my body in. Oh, I don't want to dance. And so I'll just kind of move and they'll move and then I'll mirror them and we'll kind of share that space together versus, you know, me telling them to do something or them saying, okay, this is what I want, you know, and, and just being able to journey Mm -hmm. together organically. Yeah. And so like, are there times where you reflect back in words, what they're doing and then like, are they able to connect that to their legacy or their life review? Sometimes, um, like I said it, before, I, I think it's, you know, I, I always feel so honored as a witness because depending where they are in their, um, you know, their, their illness trajectory, um, they might not have the ability or the awareness to reflect back or to say, yes, this is, you know, that's what I was thinking and that's what came out of my body, you know, mm-hmm. and, and allowing us to just mirror each other and well, more so me mirroring the patient and then, you know, responding, um, and then me bearing witness to their, their legacy or their life review. Um, because you know, we might have gone over something prior and talked about it, and then I watched that occur. Um, and not always will they have the ability to say, "Yes, I see how that happened," um, yeah. but the families do. Ah, uh, okay. You know, and, and again, that that's that space. Right. Right. Yeah. So when you when. I'm guessing you witness like the entire process, like the actual end of life for your patient. And then you work with the families to help them through the grief. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what does that look like? Like how do you incorporate movement into the grief relief? So with, with my, and I've been recently trying to push a little harder. Um, and seeing where I can get but you know it's it depends how recent the loss is it depends if um someone might come in for group and I didn't know their loved one um because we might we'll have a group that might not uh, um be a family member that we particularly worked with and so you know kind of knowing where they are and what their story is how recent their loss was will I dive into movement um because with grief and loss there's no um there's no plan you know and, and we always say you know Kugler Ross five stages and and there's structures and zones and, and a lot of different theories and things that work for a lot of people um but there's just no right or wrong way to grieve you, you know there's health healthy grief as, as they say, but, um, everyone's on a different, on a different plan, you know, and, and we always say that you never, you never recover from grief, you know, you're never going to heal fully. And it's, it's a lifelong journey to process. And so I never really dive into movement. Like the first time I meet someone or they had a recent loss, um, we'll, you know, sit with the space and see if anybody 
detox. Um, you know, I'll do a lot of regrounding. So I'll do almost like, um, I call it like secret dance therapy. <laughs> so they like, I will say, let's reground, let's deep breath, you know, look at each other in the group. Can we make eye contact and, and not coming in and saying, this is a, you know, a dance group and this is a, a movement group and, yeah. um, you know, kind of start very light and easy breezy. Uh, so they feel comfortable and they kind of take it one step at a time because with grief and loss, you're flooded. And so being able to say, okay, this was just a little piece and now I can talk about it. And this was just a little piece and now I can talk about it. Um, I know that can be in the beginning of a group where I've run groups where it's, you know, people who have had grief or are interested in grief and loss or, you know, different things um, where I'll dive right then and we'll talk about empowerment, getting in your body and we'll do superhero poses and and really be very body based. So it's kind of um, a a beginning and an end of a process um, as far as bringing the movement in. Mm, Yeah. So they're, the groups are with you for a like certain number of weeks where these are the this is kind of the progression that you go through. Right. So the the groups are I think eight weeks long, um, and so but everyone kind of comes in on a different part of their grief journey. Right. Um, so it's really being able to kind of tap in and see where everyone can move. Because um, if you have someone that's very resistant, you don't want to push and then they won't move at all and, and not even physically move, but just move through their own process. Um, so, you know, there's like that aspect of, you know, a six week group or a 10 week group and then other people that are not group of people <laughs> and they might just come to workshops or specific, um, you know, self care classes or things like that where we'll just go over, you know, utilizing interventions and self care, um, tools and creating their toolbox and going through things where they can have a less abstract look at their grief and say, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do yoga or I'm going to go home and I'm going to take five deep breaths um, and be able to give people very concrete body-based tools. Mm. Yeah. And I just imagine overall the group aspect just important to be in an atmosphere that feels safe among other people who kind of sort of are on the same path of, of grief. And, you know, like as a dance therapist, I know as a dance therapist who runs groups, like that's just so powerful to just have that connection with people who are going through the same thing or similar things. Like sometimes even more important than the actual movement that you do is just like that, that's, sacred space right exactly you know and and sometimes people even say oh I, I feel better but I don't know why <laughs> you know and it's like and it was just you know holding that space and as a clinician sometimes it can be very hard um but when the other group members are willing to hold the space together like you said it really kind of gives this safe collaborative energy um, where people just say, I can, I can do this alone. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, last question, what, what kind of lesson do you take from this kind of work? Cause this is big stuff, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know if I could do it, you know, <laughs> but I imagine like there's just so much, uh, 
value and what you learn about yourself and your own life. Would you mind sharing something? Yeah, I, it, it is big work and, and hard. Um, but being with the dying, it gives you this look at your own life and kind of the ability to reflect and, and, you know, what is my legacy? What has my life been? How do I want to lead it? You know, how am I leading it? And what am, what am I doing for myself? What am I doing for my family and friends? You know, and if I were in, you know, this patient's position, what would I want? Um, you know, and a lot of, it's a very hard thing to talk about and, and you know, it's not the cultural norm to say, this is what I want when I die, or, you know, this is how I want to live my life. So my, you know, funeral will be X, Y, and Z. And it's like, Oh, I don't want to talk about that. You know, it's upsetting or it's scary. And it's, it's so important to embrace that topic and say, this is what I want. And this is how I want to live my life because then we, we lose this chunk of fear that we have instilled of us on, on death and dying. And, a lot of it might not necessarily be about the death or the dying aspect, but how you lived your life up to that part. Yeah. So important. I was just doing this planning workshop for 2019. And one of the exercises was, you know, you're at a funeral and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Basically like you, you look at the person and it's you, it's your funeral. And, and it was like, three years from now, how do you want to leave, you know, what do you want your closest family member to say about you? What do you want your best friend to say about you? What do you want your colleague to say about you? And I just like wrote out these three different, uh, speeches and, and it was, yeah, it's so important. And it it makes you realize this is how I am living in alignment with what I want to leave behind. And this is what's missing. So um, as hard as your work is, as big as it is, like I can imagine how important and valuable that reminder is for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for that. I feel like that one's going to really, uh, like that little piece of advice is just super powerful. It's going to make people think and be like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I should think about that. Cool. Um, any last words? Um, is there a way for, you know, if anyone's interested in finding you? Yeah. Um, I'm on everything. LinkedIn, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, Molly Arnie just spelled, uh, the same typical way. Uh, and my company is energy dance healing and wellness. And I have a website and social media platforms for all of that. Um, and my contact information is on the website. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been really great.